0: Good morning. Welcome all of you, especially those of you who are visiting with us for the first time. We're very glad that you're here. Last week, in our sermon last week, we looked at the city of man, Babylon the harlot. And we saw that the city of man is founded on the quest, the lust for independence from God. Every human culture that has ever been, that will ever be in this world is rooted and steeped in the desire to find pleasure and joy and security and meaning and significance totally apart from God. That is what our world, that is what our culture, that is what our hearts are founded on as fallen men and women Sons of Adam. We saw last week that the city of man is worldwide. There is no place you can go to run away from the city of man. If you go and live alone on a desert island in the middle of the Pacific, there will be a little outpost of the city of man because you're there. No matter where you go, this is the rebellion that we are born with in this world. It's in our hearts. It's everywhere you go. The city of man is worldwide. It's seductive. It's a, it's a harlot that wants to seduce you and lure you in and cause you to be drunk with the wine of her adulteries, of her immoralities, And the city of man is bloodthirsty. Babylon, Babylon, she wants nothing more than to cause you and me to be seduced. And if we will not be seduced, then to kill us. And we also saw that the city of man, the harlot Babylon, is doomed. Completely doomed. God will destroy her. God will destroy the city of man at the end of the age. And all those who are found to be her citizens will perish with her. Doomed. Fallen is Babylon the Great. But that's only half the story. Today we're going to look at the other part of the picture, the city of God. Last week I asked four questions about the city of man. This week I'm going to ask those same questions about the city of God. Number one, what is the origin of the city of God? And just like with Babylon, the city of man, we had to go all the way back to Genesis, to the very beginning of the history of the world, with the city of God. We have to go all the way back to Genesis to understand how it began. And if you have your Bible with me, we're going to be in several places today, so please follow along with me and uh, try to keep up. First of all, Genesis 2, verses 8 and 9. Genesis 2, 8 and 9. It says, The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there He placed the man whom He had formed. Out of the ground the Lord God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also is in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So at the very beginning of the history of the world, what does God do? God plants a garden. God plants a garden. This is what God does. That's why all of us should be planting gardens. Because we're made in the image of God. The beginning of the history of mankind, God planted a garden. The name of the garden was Eden. And literally in Hebrew, Eden means delights. Delights. So God planted a garden and he called it the garden of delights because it's filled with delightful things. He filled the garden with every form of plant and animal and fruit. He filled it with everything that they would ever need to eat, to thrive, beautiful things. And he put a man and a woman in it. And God placed man in the middle of that garden of delights. And in the center of that garden, there stood two trees. And one was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that we saw last week with the fall of man into sin because Adam and Eve disobeyed God and ate of it. And the other was the tree of life. And God placed man in that garden and gave him commands. He gave him commands. Duties that he had to fulfill. Look at Genesis one to 26-30. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in, in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. Adam and Eve were put in the midst of this garden that God had planted, and they were put in the middle of the garden to to what? To work. To work. The garden would not tend itself. It would not make itself beautiful. It needed men. It needed a man and a woman to make this garden beautiful. God commanded them to tend it, to work it, to beautify it. God gave them the command to rule over the earth as his vice regents, as kings under him, the high king. God gave them the command to fill the earth with offspring and to subdue the earth and to live in harmony and peace and dependence on God. And none of those commands have ever been revoked. This is the way the world is made. This is what God has given us, mankind, to do. And as long as Adam and Eve trusted God and believed His Word and lived in total dependence on Him, there was paradise. Man lived at peace with his God. We read in, in Genesis that God used to come in the cool of the day, down to the garden and walk with man in the cool of the, of the evening. He had fellowship with Him. He had peace with Him. There was warmth. There was love. Man lived at peace with his God. Man lived at peace with himself. Uh, there, was no, there was nothing to have a bad conscience about. There was nothing to worry about. There was nothing to be afraid of. And man lived at peace with man. Adam and Eve lived in perfect harmony with each other. Peace rooted in trusting and relying on God. Peace rooted in being dependent on God on being under God, of, having, of loving the fact that God tells us what to do, loving the fact that God gives us commandments, loving the fact that God is our authority, loving the fact that He has cared for us by providing everything we need and gladly submitting to Him. But we saw last week how all of that was utterly ruined and twisted and shattered. As a result of Adam and Eve believing Satan's lie. And instead of being God's friends, what happens to them? They run from Him. They're His enemies. Instead of being at peace within their own hearts, now they are filled with shame and fear. They cover themselves because they're shamed. They run because they're afraid. And instead of being at peace with one another, they are blame-shifting and bickering and... Attacking each other, even as God is confronting them with their own sin. And in a scene of agony and loss and sadness, Adam and Eve are driven out of the garden of delights. They are driven out by God, and they are sent out into a wild, sin-cursed earth to labor and toil, to, to scrape by by the sweat of their brow, and to get sick and to feel pain and to weep, and ultimately to die and return to the very dust from which God made them. And it looks like the city of man has conquered the city of God. But it's not true. Because after man sinned and turned his back on God, what does God do? God gives curses to Adam and eve to all of their offspring to the very earth that we live on and to the serpent and he curses them because of their sin but in the middle of god's curse god gives an amazing a glorious word of hope listen to these words genesis 3:14 to 15 this is god cursing the serpent for his role in Adam's fall the Lord God said to the serpent because you have done this cursed are you more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field on your belly you will go and dust you will eat all the days of your life and I will put enmity hatred between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head. He shall crush your head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. In the middle of a curse, God gives a blessing, a promise, hope. This is not the end of the story. The serpent will be crushed. All is not lost. The serpent will not be the victor. The arrogance of the serpent that is personified in the harlot Babylon, the city of man, will be crushed. And in its place, remaining forever and ever in pure splendor and awesome beauty, there will stand the city of God. And its Lord will be the true ruler of all the kings of the earth, the seed of the woman, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory. that is what's going to happen it will be so and just as we saw the fullest description of the city of man in the book of Revelation we also see the fullest description of the city of God in Revelation chapters 21 and 22 so look with me at Revelation 21 this should be up on the screen Revelation 21 verses 1 through 4 (coughs) The Apostle John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven (coughs) from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. So at the end of time, what does John see coming down out of heaven? What is it that he sees? He sees a city. He sees the holy city, New Jerusalem. But notice, what else? what else is this city? This city is also a woman. It says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Just as the city of man, Babylon, is personified as a woman in Revelation 17, so here, the city of God, New Jerusalem, is personified as a woman. But what kind of woman? Babylon is a gaudy harlot. A gaudy, seductive, wicked harlot. But New Jerusalem is a beautiful bride. Babylon was dressed in purple and scarlet with glittering gold, precious stones and pearls. But in Revelation 19.8, we read that New Jerusalem is clothed with fine linen, bright and clean. She is a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. Revelation 21, 9-11 says this, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the Spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Of course, we know who this is, don't we? This bride, this wife of the Lamb. Who is she? He calls her Jerusalem. But who is she? She's us. She's the church. Ephesians 5. We know these words. Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her so that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, That he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. What John sees, the bride, the wife of the Lamb, spotless, coming down out of heaven. God sees, Jesus, John sees, sorry, the church. He sees the church. City of God, New Jerusalem but not as it is, as it will be, spotless, clothed in fine linen, bright and clean, holy and blameless. What are the characteristics of the city of God? What is she like? Number one, it's universal. Babylon, I said, is worldwide. No matter where you go on this earth, you will find Babylon because Babylon is wrapped up in our hearts as fallen men and women. But the new Jerusalem is universal. It's cosmic. It's bigger than just this world. Look at Revelation 21 five again. He who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Everything, the universe will be made new. The appearance of the new Jerusalem will coincide with the recreation of the entire universe. God says, I am making everything new. The whole universe, everything about it, everything that was broken by sin, everything that fell under the curse of God in the Garden of Eden, will be made new. All of it. Look at Revelation twenty-one, twenty-four to 26 It says, The nations, all of the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, into the city of New Jerusalem. In the daytime, for there will be no night there, its gates will never be closed and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. All the nations will walk by the light of New Jerusalem. In that day, the kings of the earth will bow in reverence before the throne of God. And on that day... The words that were spoken by the prophet Habakkuk will will be true universally. It says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Totally inundated with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. No spot left untouched. Nothing left. Of the old order of things at all. Universal. Cosmic. Everything. The fabric of the universe remade. Secondly, it's holy. Babylon is seductive. Babylon is immoral. Babylon is wicked. Babylon is rebellious. Babylon is hates God. Filled with the abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. But look at Revelation 21-2. I saw the holy city, Jerusalem. New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. Made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. Revelation 21-8. He says but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death they will not be allowed into the city they will not be pat- allowed past her gates revelation 21:27 and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination And lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The city of God is filled with holiness and purity and beauty. Everything good, everything beautiful, everything holy is in the city of God. No sin will ever enter into it. No wicked, autonomous, arrogant man will ever be a citizen, but... It is inhabited only by those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. The only people allowed in are those who have placed their hope and faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to save them from their sins. The only people in are those who have turned away from their rebellion that they were born with, rooted in their hearts, who turned away from that rebellion turned away from their hatred of God and their independence from God, have stopped shaking their fists in the face of God and have bowed their knee in beautiful submission to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Those are the only people who will be allowed into the city of God. Now, some of you hear those words. And when you hear them, what do you do? You despair. You hear these words I just read to you from Revelation 21, eight. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You hear those words and you say to me, but that's me. That's me. I am cowardly, I am unbelieving, I am abominable, I am a murderer, I killed my own child when I had that abortion. I am immoral, I am a liar. And you hear those words from Revelation twenty-one twenty-seven: nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. And you think, but that's me. I am unclean, I am abominable, I know myself. I know what I am like. I know what I've done. And here's what I say to you. Here's what I say to you. Listen to me very carefully. You're right. You are right. You and I are all of those things. But what else does it say? It says there is a book called the Lamb's Book of Life, and it contains the names of all of those whose sins have been washed by the blood of the Lamb. And in order to have your sins washed by the blood of the Lamb, what do you have to be? In order to have your sins washed by the blood of the Lamb, what do you have to be? You have to be a sinner. You have to be a sinner. And if you're not a sinner, or if you don't think that you're a sinner, then you have no place in the Lamb's book of life. None. The Lamb's book of life is for sinners. Jesus came for sinners. He did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. And New Jerusalem is not gated against sinners. The New Jerusalem is not gated against sinners. Do you hear me? It is gated against unrepentant sinners. It is gated against those who do not see their sin. Or it's gated against those who do see their sin, but they love it. And they love the fact that they love it. And they have no pangs of conscience at all. They have called A a, a truce with sin. New Jerusalem is gated against all who have no ultimate concern at all for their sin. So if you hear these words and, and you're tempted to despair because your conscience is soft, the only way you're tempted to despair is if your conscience is soft. You hear these words, you're tempted to despair because your conscience is soft and you hate the fact that you love your sin. You do love it, so do I, but you hate the fact that you love it. And the deepest part of you wants nothing more than to be done with your sin. If that's you, do not despair. Because for you, these are words of promise and hope. You can read these words and be filled with despair or you can read these words as a repentant sinner and be filled with hope. Think of the hope in these words. In the New Jerusalem, there will be no more what? No more sinners. Think of the wonder and the hope of that. Think of the promise of that. That means that finally, at last, there is coming a day when you will enter those beautiful gates of that beautiful holy city and your sin will be left outside and you will come into that city. Your sin will be gone. Your struggle with sin will be over and your heart will be light and free and there will be no spot or blemish or anything like that. That day is coming. It will happen. And if you are a repentant sinner, if you have seen your sin and you see that you love your sin, but you hate the fact that you love your sin, and you want nothing more than to be done with it and to want Jesus to cleanse you from your sin, the city of God is for you. The very beginning of the book of Revelation, the way it all starts, is with John praising Jesus Christ for this. He says, In Revelation 1, 5, and 6, to Him who loves us and released us, released us, freed us from our sins by His blood. And He has made us to be a kingdom priest to His God and Father. To Him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ is the one who frees us from our sins. Listen to these words. I want you to see this picture. If you have your Bible open, turn it to Revelation 7, verse 9. And I want you to see yourself in this description because he is describing everyone who has repented of their sins, who has turned to Jesus Christ, who has wanted nothing more than to to obey Him, and to trust Him and to have Him forgive them. Revelation 7-9 After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Standing before Him. Standing. Standing with boldness, with confidence, before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might, Be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders answered me, saying to me, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? And I said to him, You tell me. My Lord, you know. I don't know. You know. Tell me. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, Brothers and sisters, that is us. That is us. great tribulation is the time between Christ's first and second comings. That's us. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, not because they're sinless, but because they have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God And they serve Him day and night in His temple. And He who sits on the throne will spread His tabernacle over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And will guide them to springs of the water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. That's you. To wash your robes white in the blood of the Lamb assumes that your robes are dirty. But you can wash them clean in the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. So do not despair, but throw yourself at the feet of this wonderfully kind Savior who shed every drop of His blood For sinners just like you. He shed His blood for sinners like you. So that you could be clean. So that you could come into the city of God. Do not despise the blood that was shed for you by thinking that your sin is too much for Him. Your sin is not too much for Him. Humble yourself and receive that cleansing. So the city of God is universal. It's holy. Number three, it's peaceful. (coughs) It's peaceful. Babylon is bloodthirsty and bent on the destruction of God's people. But New Jerusalem is filled with peace. That peace that was in the garden before the fall is restored in the city of New Jerusalem. Revelation 21, 2-4. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and He will dwell among them, and they shall be His people, and God Himself will be among them. And He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, or crying, or pain, the first things that passed away. God, instead of being distant from from sinners he comes and he lives with them he 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 pitches his tent among them it says he tabernacles with them he dwells among them he comes and lives with us there is no more separation from god no more tears no more death no more mourning no more crying no more pain the old order of things the city of man Babylon on the harlot will all pass away all of it And it will be a city of peace. Listen to John's description of the city of God in Revelation 22, 1-5. Listen to what he sees. He comes into the city. The angel shows him what it looks like. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was a tree of life bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and there will no longer be any night. And they will not have need of the light of a lamp nor of the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them and they will reign forever and ever. What is this that he sees? This is the Garden of Eden. This is the Garden of Delights coming into existence again. Just like it was, but better. No more curse. You see, at the heart of the New Jerusalem, there stands... The same tree that stood at the center of the Garden of Eden is the tree of life, and that tree will be for the healing of the nations. This city is more like a garden, a beautiful garden, than it is like a bustling city. We're not talking Manhattan here. We're talking beauty. Delight, again, no more curse. The river of life flowing freely to be, to be relished in. And that is what the city of God is like. Universal renewal, universal holiness, universal peace. Is that what you want? Do you find in your heart something that says yes to all of that? That's what I want. That's what I want sick of this the sin of my heart i see it and so often i love it but i hate the fact that i love it and i want to be done with it and i see this city where there's peace and holiness and god is there and i can have fellowship with him that's not broken is that what you want what's the destiny of the city of of god where is this going The destiny of the city of man is utter doom and destruction, but the destiny of the city of God is eternal glory. Revelation 21, 22 to 25. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God the Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into it in the daytime, for there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. Eternal glory. The glory of New Jerusalem is Jesus. Now, do you want to spend eternity with Jesus? Some of us don't. We want eternity with no sin, because sin makes our life hard. Or we want eternity with lots of nice stuff. But do you want Jesus? Eternal glory with Jesus. Revelation 22, 5, And there will no longer be any night, and they will not have need of the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them. And they will reign forever and ever. New Jerusalem will gloriously endure forever and ever. Gloriously endure forever and ever. And all who live in the city of God will reign forever and ever. A kingdom of priests. Holy for the Lord. Which leads me to my last question. What is our response to the city of God? How should we respond to this holy, peaceful, glorious city? Will you refuse to believe that it exists because you can't see it? Or you can't touch it? Or you can't verify it with your reason? Will you assume that you're a citizen of the city of God even when all of your desires and affections and dreams and hopes focus on the city of man? Look at God's call in Revelation 22:17. <clears throat> the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life without cost. Do you Remember God's call to us in regards to Babylon is come out of her. And God's call to us in regards to New Jerusalem is come in. Come in. The gates are open. If you want to come in, come in. God is calling every one of us to forsake the wickedness and the autonomy and the strife and the temporary empty pleasures of the city of man and to grab hold of and to embrace the holiness and the trust and the peace and the full eternal pleasures of the city of God. He says, come. Come. Whoever is thirsty. Are you thirsty for that? Do you have a taste for that? Whoever is thirsty, come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. God's call to us, God's call to each one of you right now is exactly the same call found in Isaiah 55. Where God Himself calls out to us. He says, come. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. If you're thirsty, don't Despair because you're thirsty. Come to the waters. It's what the waters are for. They're for the thirsty. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. You look at yourself and you say, I'm bankrupt. Exactly. Then come. Come on. Buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Don't bring anything in your hand to God. To buy His blessings, come with nothing. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance and climb your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. Come. God is saying, why do you insist on staying in the city of man when I offer you the city of God? Why do you continually seek satisfaction in that which will never satisfy you? Why will you spend your whole life in a doomed city? Why will you refuse to separate yourself from the world that hates me? God is calling each one of you to come out of the city of man and to come into the city of God, and you will be a citizen of either one or the other, but not both. You can never be a citizen of both. You can either love the world, the city of man, or you can love God and the city of God. It's exactly what God says. James, the Apostle James says in James 4.4, writing to Christians, he says to them, You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Do you remember last week from Revelation 17? The whole world is drunk with the wine of the city of man, of, of Babylon the harlot. The doomed citizens of the city of man are drunk with wine. Do you remember what wine it is? It says in 17:2 With her the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her adulteries. That's exactly what James calls friendship with the world. It's adultery. What what is adultery? Adultery is professing with your mouth faithfulness to a husband or a wife, but having a heart that's constantly, constantly going somewhere else. Eyes that are constantly going somewhere else. Affections that are constantly going somewhere else. A body that's constantly going somewhere else. This is exactly what James says. This is friendship with the world. It's adultery. Saying, I love God, I trust God, I want God, but your life is filled with everything else. And you who deceive yourself into thinking you can straddle the fence or live in both Babylon and New Jerusalem or committing adultery and you're an enemy of Almighty God and you will be destroyed along with Babylon. John says the same thing. 1 John chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him for all that is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lust. It will be doomed. The city of man is doomed. But the one who does the will of God lives forever in the city of man, the city of God. So here's the question for us today. How do we live as citizens of the city of God, New Jerusalem, in the middle of Babylon, the city of man? Here's the answer that the Bible gives all over the place over and over again. First Peter that we're reading now is filled with this. We live by faith as aliens and strangers in the world. We live by faith as aliens and strangers in the world. We set our eyes on our true home, New Jerusalem, and by faith we obey God in the midst of a godless world as people who are motivated to by the absolute certainty that God will keep His promises to us. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. And I want you to see some examples of this, of real men and women who did exactly that. This is where we'll we'll end. Listen to the godly, faithful examples of saints who have gone before us from Hebrews 11 Hebrews 11:8 11, By faith Abraham when he was called obeyed by going out to a place which was to which he was to receive for an inheritance and he went out not knowing where he was going by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. Why? How did he do it? For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What was he looking for? What made Abraham able to do what he did? What made Abraham able to obey? He saw a city. He saw the city of God. He saw New Jerusalem. And he was willing to live as a stranger in a strange country because he saw he was looking ahead to the city of God. Hebrews 11:13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You have to be happy with being a stranger and an exile on this earth. For those who say such things, make it clear that they are seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to to return. Listen, you will have a hundred opportunities today to return. To where you came from, the city of man. No shortage of opportunities to go back. Had they been thinking of that country from which they went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. To live by faith in the promises of God is to live as an alien and a stranger in the city of man. There's one more passage that I want to show you that wraps it all up. Second Peter three verses 10 to 14. Listen to this. Second Peter 3:10, "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. That's what's going to happen. The city of man will be destroyed. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless. If you're going to live as a citizen of the city of God in the midst of Babylon, we must live as aliens and strangers in the world, knowing that God will not fail to keep His promises to us in the world to come. The only way that we can live as God's people in this world is if we have something that's more seductive to us than Babylon more seductive, more alluring, that draws us even more than the hooks of Babylon. If all you see, if all you think about, if all you hope for, if all you dream about, if all of your pleasures are wrapped up in this world, You will be powerless to fight against the temptations of Babylon. And you will not be able to obey God. We must live as people who embrace the sure promises of God. Now, I want to end by saying this. Some of you were very distressed by my sermon last week. And you were distressed because you did what I told you to do. You looked deeply into your life. You saw bad things. And you saw a heart that enjoys sinning. You saw a mind that thinks in line with Babylon. You saw a mind that is easily seduced by the harlot Babylon. And you saw yourself and you were grieved And some of you even were moved to despair. But I stand here in the place of Jesus Christ as His ambassador, and I say to you, Come. Come, you thirsty. Come, you hungry. Come, you weary. Come, you heavy laden. Jesus will give you wine and milk and bread and rest. If you come to Him, come to Him not with righteousness in your hands, but with nothing in your hands. And if you look down at your hands and you see there's nothing there, there's nothing to bring to Him, you're the ones that He's calling to come. Thirsty, hungry, empty, poor, come. Others of you last week were not distressed at all. You might have been distressed with me, but you were not distressed with yourself. You did not do what I told you to do. You did not look deeply into your life. And as I preach today, you have no concern whatsoever. You have no taste whatsoever for the things of God. Your life is comfortable. It's clean. And you have no concern for yourself at all. You are the ones who need to be very concerned about yourselves. You are the ones who will find yourselves locked out of New Jerusalem on that day. It will not be those who know their sin and who are sorry for it and who fight it and who hate the fact that they love it and who keep coming back to Jesus over and over and over again to help them and to save them from their sins. It will be the clean machines like me like many of you who will be in great danger of being locked outside the city of God. Do you remember these words, these dreadful words from Jesus in Matthew 7? Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? Didn't, and, and in Your name cast out demons and in Your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You who practice lawlessness. These are the people who, who never felt their conscience condemning them, who never felt the pain of their disobedience to God, who thought they were okay. If you have never come to the place where you acknowledge your sin and turn away from your rebellion and your autonomy and turn to Jesus Christ, you can do all of that. You can be autonomous and very religious. we you've never come to the place where you turn away from all of that and you turn to Jesus Christ for forgiveness and peace with God, then you are stranded in the city of man. You will face her doom. God has spoken. It will come to pass. But there is good news if you'll open your ears to hear it. And the good news is that the king of New Jerusalem has offered terms of peace to all the rebels like us, and these terms of peace are sealed in the very blood of the King's Son, Jesus Christ, and because the King's Son died in the place of rebels and sinners like you and me, we can come and be His loyal subjects again. We can come in. Jesus Christ paid the price for your rebellion. He bore God's curse on our autonomy and our pride, when He died on the cross, and now He offers peace and forgiveness to all who come to Him in trust and faith. Everyone. Jesus Christ stands at the gate of the city of God, and He cries out, Come, whoever is thirsty, come! Let Him come, whoever wants, whoever wishes. Let Him take the free gift of the water of life. And He is standing here this morning calling to you to come. And there is nothing holding you back except your rebellion and your hard heart. That's it. If you don't enter the city of God with humility through the gate of faith in Jesus Christ, then you will not enter. Do not leave here today. Turning your back on your only hope. Flee from the wrath to come. Flee from the wrath and destruction that is coming on the city of man. Take refuge in the city of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have done that, then clear out the cobwebs and the smoke and the dust and get a clear vision of the city of God and live now as an alien and a stranger in this world. Love the beautiful bride, New Jerusalem. Love the church of Jesus Christ. How can you think that you're a citizen of the city of God if you hate the church? The church is the city of God. Love the city of God. Long for it. Set your face towards it. Be allured by it. Be seduced by it. Give yourself to it. And Jesus will welcome you, and He'll take you in, and He'll give you His fellowship, and the warmth of His presence, and the fullness of His love if you come. Let's pray.